Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to Bottoming, the podcast about LGBTQ mental health, rock bottoming, and beyond. Be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at BottomingPod or visit bottomingpodcast.com for more content relating to each episode. We've also added a support page to direct you to the right place if you're struggling or need someone to talk to. Thanks for listening and don't forget to subscribe. Hi, my name's Brendan. And my name's Matthew, and our pronouns are he and him. Oh, what a week it's been. It's been a couple of weeks since our last episode. Uh-huh. How have you been? Yeah, I've been good. Um, I was on the edge of my seat on Thursday night <clears throat> for Drag Race. <laughs> my lord. Didn't go the way I thought it would have gone, mm-hmm. but either way, what an amazing mm-hmm. celebration of yeah. drag such a gorgeous season the entire thing to be honest oh my lord i think based i mean yeah based on social media mm-hmm. and kind of the reaction on social before the final yeah i think we all kind of had an idea as to which way it was gonna go <laughs> um yeah but taking like an overall look at the whole season mm-hmm. i think yeah Lawrence deserved equally deserved a win absolutely um, i think bimini has transcended the season mm regardless um yeah <clears throat> they are phenomenal fantastic beautiful stunning i think mm-hmm. all of them are um, yeah 100 percent. each and every one of them so and also I taste think... ate that up at the oh! end my god can we just discuss wham yes because rue and michelle sat there as if taste had just said he's making some toast yeah literally not a blink not nothing the audacity yeah the nerve I would have been dead on the floor. <laughs> the gumption. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, just thank you to Drag Race UK mm, specifically. Such a lie. For brightening up. 
the, the hell <laughs> fire that has been <laughs> 2021 so far. Yeah. <laughs> so we're taking this episode back to basics. Uh huh. Back to. We're not gonna lie. We're very nervous <laughs> about this episode. <laughs> we. I'm here clenching a pillow. <laughs> I feel sick. There's yeah. There's a lot that's going to be said during this episode that is probably going to be a bit triggering for a lot of people. Um, it's triggering for us right now, which is why we're <laughs> both you know, putting it off, <laughs> putting it off, and trying to talk about absolutely everything else before this. Um, but I guess okay. So just to backtrack for those who haven't gone back to listen to our first episode or haven't heard uh, heard it in a while. The reason we started bottoming in the first place was because I was on the waiting list for therapy on the NHS and Matthew was going through a tough time as well. Luckily, just over two years later, uh, we're now in much better places and here we are talking to you now with enough hindsight to articulate things a little bit clearer. So this episode is all about therapy and what we wanted to do with this episode is to share experiences with therapy which we're going to do and also speak to some people within the different routes so we're going to be interviewing will from the nhs uh, darren from mind out and jen who is a private psychologist to further understand um, what each of the routes entail and to hopefully make a lot of people feel calmer about the idea of reaching out for support just to let you know the conversations we're going to be having are of sensitive nature with themes around suicide, sexual abuse and other topics that people might find triggering or upsetting. So starting with myself and my mental health CV, um, <laughs> I'd always been depressed and anxious, only I didn't know it was called um, what it was called or that I could feel anything other than the way I did. Um I assumed everyone cried themselves to sleep thinking they were breaking in, someone was breaking into the house um, or thought about every single way they could potentially die on the way to school um, or would believe that no exciting things would actually ever happen because they thought they'd be dead before they did. Um, for a lot of years, this was fine. Um, fine in the sense that I was coping and in a way, looking back um, since learning more from my masters, um, I think they were actually strategies that I created for myself. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised when bad things did happen. Um, I had this thing where if one good, good thing happened, I'd anticipate the bad thing, um, to balance out the good almost. Um, and when it did happen, when the bad did happen, I would prove myself right. And so I'd validate mm -hmm. any thought process I had at the time. Leading up to the summer of 2018, um, I had been tracking my low periods for a couple of years, um, and I would block out chunks of time on my calendar whenever I felt depressed uh, to see if there were any patterns. Um, I had some unresolved family issues that I hadn't ironed out fully. And after attempting to place um, the feelings I had in my younger years um, on a fictional character, I expected that would be the key to unlock the happiness that, mm -hmm. I, that I wasn't feeling. But that didn't work and uh, in the way that I'd hoped. And it kind of sent me into a spiral. From then, um, I felt myself slipping quite a lot. And it was like almost like an impending doom I felt daily. Um, and I would have near daily suicidal ideation. 
Um, I remember. Oh God, I'm getting emotional. I remember actually uh, breaking down to you on the phone at work and you were really helpful and recommended oh, recommended that I take calms, <laughs> which... <laughs> I was over those none at the time. <laughs> and, then, and I was really grateful, actually, because I was like, oh, yeah, this can... This actually might be able to help. <laughs> yeah. And I uh, I remember going to Boots yeah, on my lunch break and I was like, yeah, I'm going to get calms. And, uh, and so this boy came in and he was, he was shaking and he was like pale as a sheet and he collapsed at, like in, in, in the Boots. And I, I remember being like, not today, <laughs> not today. Can you remember me saying that? <laughs> So this is when I first started to search for a therapist, um, but I didn't have any money to pay for one, um, nor the headspace to choose who would be right for me. Um, and as the time went on, I planned to pay off any money I owed my mum and dad, and I reduced my hours at work to one day a week. And this was me preparing to leave. But I didn't know uh, how, and I didn't have an ending planned. I just knew that brought me calm was to prepare and to not leave any loose ends untied. Um, then on one trip home, I had a moment at a train station waiting to come back to London where I began counting the seconds the trains would fly by on the central rail, thinking it would be over quickly if I timed it right. A month or so later, the events that I speak about in our first episode happened and I booked an appointment at my doctor's the following week. The hardest part for me was opening my mouth to say the words that I needed to say. I was crying, my voice was shaking, kind of like now, um, but the words were coming out and I was being heard by someone who could help me. That was huge. Um, I told him about the train station and he asked what made me not do what I was thinking about. And I said that I didn't know because I truly didn't know at the time. Um, he gave me details of the local mental health service that I, and said I needed to self-refer. We spoke about medication and after taking a week to think it over, I agreed to start them. Uh, they are SSRIs, which are anti-anxiety and antidepressants. Um, and they basically help the serotonin in my brain stay in the right places uh, when it's produced effectively making my lows less low and my highs more high and I still take them to this day. Uh, the side effects uh, of the meds for the first few weeks were feeling great in the morning but then burning out by 3pm. Um, but around after a month or so I still had a lot of shame about the experience I had at the train station and I was craving humour uh, at this point and I was yeah like thirsty for some comedy. Um, <laughs> So I decided to write the experience I had in a scene. But instead of as it happened, I added something bizarre uh, with some toilet humour to pull the character out of his head and back to the train platform. Um, and it made me laugh and see it in a new light. So I wrote the rest of the episode, then five more episodes, 
uh, continue to slap jokes on sore spots and I called the show Bottoming. A month or so later, I approached Matthew and after having a discussion about the possibility of a podcast and Matthew's gorgeous take on the same topic, um, we recorded our first five episodes. So for me, the six month waiting period allowed me room to process a lot of the things that I've been through. During this time, I had monthly meetings with my GP, who was fantastic, a really warm and caring person. I truly felt looked after there. I also had three calls with my mental health service, which was South London and Maudsley. Um, The first was a consultation and the two others were check-ins just to see how I was. Um, I also attended a group therapy session, which I was offered as a series, but after the first one, I didn't go back. Um, I think you either built for that sort of open discussion and as it was so new to me, it just made me sink into myself more. Mm-hmm. I had my first session seven months after I self-referred. The main thing we worked on was my thought process. To be honest, I couldn't tell you you know, what we actually spoke about during the sessions, um, but it was very proactive with the worksheets and pushing me to identify thoughts when um, when I was actually having them and challenge their purpose. He also offered a wonderful visual analogy for me to get past my own my own barriers. Um, he told me to imagine the life I want. It sounds corny, but he told me to imagine the life I want, the things I want, um, and the things I want to do as this beautiful mountain range in the distance. Uh, but I need to drive a long road to get there. Say a roadblock appears, which could represent any any number of things. And what I'd have done previously to that point was to just turn the car around, <laughs> say not today, Satan. And I'm out. Yeah, I'm out. <laughs> hang up my coat. But no, you just go around the roadblock and keep moving forward. Um, it's a very simple analogy, but um, and it's also you know super hard to put into practice. Um, but the more you do push through, the easier that gets for me anyway. I had around sixteen sessions in total. Um, and never felt any pressure to stop. We we just ran out of things to talk about. He was also a queer man, so understood my experience on a greater level. Um, I'm also still in contact with him um, for phone chats every now and again when I have an emergency. I count myself very lucky to have the people around me that I do, the friends that I had at the time, and to have been able to afford to work one day a week while I gathered myself um, for a few months during that time. Some people don't even have one of those amazing things. I'm living with major depressive disorder and generalized anxiety disorder. With or without medication, I will have to monitor myself constantly. And I think we all should. Mm -hmm. We should all check in, reevaluate and think, am I okay? Are the thoughts I'm having rational? Am I surviving or am I thriving? And I just want to add that you don't need to have a diagnosis to legitimize any pain you're feeling. And equally, just because you have a diagnosis doesn't mean that you're defined by it. I really do hope that these chats offer a bit more insight into the options available because there are options. Mm-hmm. I know you may not feel it now or at some point in the future, but there are options. Please take care. So actually, we've seen a few um, tweets recently, uh, which have highlighted Mm -hmm. some people that have had negative experiences from the NHS. I know I was very 
I count myself very lucky for the for the sessions I had and the attentiveness I felt as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it can be rare, unfortunately. Um, but one of the things we wanted to do was to speak to someone on the inside. So we spoke with Will, who you might recognise from our Save Me From Tears episode <laughs> before Christmas. Um, and he's an assistant psychologist who works at an IAT service in the NHS. Um, so we picked his brain a little bit to see what the average journey of someone getting therapy through the NHS might look like. My name's Will. My pronouns are he, him. I'm an assistant psychologist in the NHS. I work in an NHS talking therapy service, which is otherwise known as IAPT. Um, IAPT actually means improving access to psychological therapies. And really what that means is it's just the primary care uh, mental health service and um, that just means it's the, the first port of call for mental health other than A&E that you might come into contact through with the NHS. So um, on paper, IAPT services where I work are for people with mild to moderate mental health problems. And that's things like stress, anxiety, depression. Um, you might be having panic attacks or flashbacks or nightmares, feelings of low mood or hopelessness. But the scope of IAPT is actually in reality, it's much larger than that and we treat people with OCD with specific phobias health anxiety generalized anxiety and in some places IAPT can also be suitable for people who want help dealing with relationship problems or trauma so before this episode we ran a couple of polls on Twitter um, and the first one revealed that 53% of the 47 people who responded didn't feel comfortable reaching out to their GP about their mental health so to get therapy on the NHS, do you need to reach out through your GP or are there other ways? I think, um, I think first of all, it's not surprising that you got the outcome you did from, from that survey. But that being said, I think I would urge anyone listening to view any healthcare professional in the NHS as a non-judgmental sounding board for your problems. To answer the question, no, actually, you don't have to go through your GP. Um, you don't even need to have a diagnosis or have a diagnosed mental health condition or any kind of condition to get help. To get help on the NHS in your area, um, what you need to do is search IAPT, as I-A-P-T, or NHS Talking Therapies, and then put in your county or your town or your city or wherever you are. And each NHS Talking Therapies service will have a website. And in most cases, you can self-refer using an online form there, so you don't have to go through your GP. I must stress, however, that you do have to be registered with the GP in that area that the service covers. So, for example, I wouldn't be accepted for treatment at IAPT in Berkshire if my registered GP was in Kent. So you have to be registered for, with a GP, um, but the service will not contact the GP without your permission. One of my hesitations initially um, mm. involved the idea around that a doctor might not understand the nuances of the LGBT experience. Um, And we actually spoke with Jamie Windus for our last episode, and they revealed that their therapist at university didn't know much about um, trans and non-binary issues. Within the NHS, is there mandatory training when it comes to LGBT issues, or is it dependent on each individual clinician's interest to learn and educate themselves? Mm, I think that's that's a really interesting and important question, definitely. I think it, um, the, the honest answer is that it differs. It really differs where you get your therapy from. So each clinician is trained to a standard whereby they can treat you and your mental health concerns um, that I spoke about earlier. But 
being totally open with you and I'm honest with you, specific training in LGBT or any specific training in that area is not actually mandatory at the moment. But that being said, you know, there'll be differences wherever you go. Um, and each clinician from clinician to clinician will have their own background, they'll have their own experiences, um, which could well feed into their therapy with you. But ultimately, the tools they'll be using to treat you will be the same across the board. So they're all trained to the same standard. I think what's important to remember is um, during the referral and the triage process that you have in the NHS, you're able to talk through with a clinician just what your goals are and what's important to you to get out of therapy. So if you're an LGBTQ plus person, but your issue is primarily um, OCD or health anxiety, then that is what your health, that's what your clinician will be working with you on. If you feel specifically that your issue stems from or is specifically about your sexuality or your gender identity, then it may be that they have someone more suitable or they might be able to refer you to um, a specialist in that area. So um, in London, for example, you may have spoken about this before, but um, 56 Dean Street is um, a specialist um, holistic LGBTQIA plus centre, which um, also provides specialist gender identity counselling and drug and alcohol counselling. Um, you know, not all places will be able to do this, of course, but it's it's always worth asking in that consultation. So for someone that was going to get sessions on the NHS, is there a particular amount of sessions that are allowed? And does it fit a certain number or is it kind of case by case? In IAPT, in NHS Talking Therapies, the model is to provide care and reach recovery within, they say with anything within up to 14 to 20 sessions, but actually that could be quite a long time and it can often be much shorter than that. So, um, you know, if you reach recovery within six sessions and you're just sort of twiddling your thumbs with the therapist and you're like, well, I, I feel great now, you know, mm. then there's no need to extend that. Um, you know, on the other end of the, of the spectrum, if you get to the end of 20 sessions and you're thinking, all I've, all I've done is got myself further in and we need more, more sessions to get me out, then that can be extended as well. So it is a case by case mm. thing. What advice would you give uh, to someone who needs to wait six to eight months for therapy or longer? Um, mm. Do you have any tools or groups um, you could recommend to those on the waiting list? Yeah, I think this is this is something that t- comes up time and time again. Uh, we know it's a big issue and it will continue to be a big issue for a long time. Um, and, you know, I, I can assure you that we are just as much aware of how much of an issue it is in the NHS. You know, mental health services are always, always fighting to receive more funding. And we're a long way off. We are a long way off from being able to provide absolutely everyone that comes in with treatment from the day that they refer or they are referred. Um, within NHS talking therapies, there'll be different waiting times for different types of intervention that you have. Um, it may be that if you choose online CBT, for example, that might have the shortest waiting time. If you choose group therapy, that might have a shorter waiting list than one-to-one. Um, and within one-to-one, depending on the different type of therapy that you have, there might be difference in, in waiting lists there. So have that conversation with the person, with your um, advisor, with the, the person that you have your consultation with, and they will tell you what the waiting times are. And maybe that will help you influence your decision. I think if you are in a state where you can't cope and you can't wait and there's an imminent risk to your life or to other people's lives, then this will be picked up in your assessment. You'll be fast tracked to a different service usually. But if you think this is your situation before you've even made the referral, I would urge you to 
call somewhere like the LGBT switchboard, for example. Um, their number is 0300 330 0630 or Samaritans and they are 116123. Um, it's really important that you, you get the help that you need as quickly as possible if that is the case. And if it's really super urgent, uh, imminently urgent, then call 111 999 or go to A&E straight away. So if it's not quite as urgent as that and you've got time to look around, look around. You know, think about your situation. Are you a student, for example? Schools, colleges, universities, most of these places will have their own well-being services. They'll have their own staff and they might be able to see you much faster um, than we will be in the NHS. So they might be able to cut that waiting time right down. Do you work for a large company, for example? Perhaps your company is able to offer you uh, therapists within their own teams or maybe they might even pay for you to have private therapy. These are all options that come up. So, you know, look around, maybe even look at Google, just Google local services, you know, lots of universities and training centers for therapists will offer free or sometimes heavily subsidized therapy or therapy where you just pay what you can, um, where you'll be seen by a trainee therapist. So I think they're all things to consider. I think in terms of tools for the moment, I know this might sound, sound flippant. I think it might pee a lot of people off, but mental health apps like Headspace and Calm are actually really good. If you if you properly engage with them and if you give them a chance, uh, you know, it might seem trivial because it's a phone app, but these two in particular are developed by mental health professionals. You know, it's not just a whim. It's not like someone's just throwing this together. They're all really important, really useful tools that some of which may also come up in the therapy that you do have um, when your waiting list is, is over. Um, so yeah, I would urge you to think about that and consider that as well. So my, my, I say, re, I say recent counselling, or my recent kind of experience was 20, began in 2017. So I, um, I was given a little bit of, of warning that I would be receiving a call from the police. Um, and I got that call. Um, I got a call from a police officer at Merseyside Police and she um, <laughs> basically had to deal with my breakdown live on the phone that I had held in there for um, the last 14 years. Um, maybe longer. Um, and she asked me questions and mentioned things that for me I had completely se separated in my mind like a different person in a different lifetime um even the mention of Merseyside police and hearing the accent and all of those things as I was sat in my current life in my flat in Hackney in my adult job all of those things it was like being hit in the face like it was such such an impactful call and she just had to deal with basically me being unable to speak for about 15 minutes because um i couldn't get any words out to her mm -hmm. 
there was a, a case that I I was involved in as a child. Um, so she had to ask me about that, and and that was that was being looked at again because of the nature of the case. I said kind of I knew it needed to be done, so I was happy to work um, work with them as was needed. Um, I just knew that it would obviously come at the detriment of my mental health. <clears throat> she um, put me in touch with local um, NHS mental health services. So I was referred to um, St Pancras um, to the the mental health team for four sessions. Essentially, it was to to it was to assess how um, critical my mental state was at the time. Um, and it was during those four weeks I was diagnosed with PTSD due to things that happened from my childhood, which, again, at the time, I thought the PTSD was something that soldiers or terrorist attack survivors had. She explained it. It kind of very gently helped me understand a little bit, but because of the nature of the sessions, we weren't able to go into anything. She then was satisfied after four sessions that... I wasn't an urgent case, so she then referred me on to Survivors UK because they weren't able to offer me the specialist support that I needed at the time. So I was then put on a waiting list for Survivors UK, who are a UK-based charity who help male, trans and non-binary victims of sexual abuse and their family and friends, um, no matter when the abuse happened. Um, you can find more information about them at survivorsuk.org. They did have quite a long waiting list. Um, there was a few admin issues as well, which kind of delayed me getting started a little bit longer. So I had to chase, um, which at that point was about 12 months. Um, again, not reflective of, of their services because they've been incredible since that was, a, as I mentioned, a slight admin error. But that that for me was a such a significant shift in things because it it, it took quite a while for me to... Firstly, I felt I felt ashamed to be going to survivors, and um, because of the services they offer, um, and admitting that I felt shame about that, um, which is a is an incredibly common thing for um, all victims of of any sort of sexual assault, um, but particularly male victims of sexual assault as well in this instance. So, um, yeah, that took me quite a while to to come to terms with being able to accept that I was at the um, charity. It took me quite a few um, sessions to kind of get under the surface of any of the topic generally. I went into each session with the view of I thought I knew what I wanted to get out of it. Um, which is is a a natural thing going to therapy. Mm-hmm. You want you think you know what your problems are, which means you think you know what you need to do to solve them. But I think one thing I would say to anyone in going through any sort of therapy is to have an open mind with it because it doesn't work that way, ultimately. And um, once I recognised that, that's when I started to fully get the benefit from it um so logistically i had a uh initial session which assessed 
what my background was, what um, my experiences were, what type of a therapist I was looking for, um, so that they could pair me with somebody. In this instance, one of the one of the questions was whether I'd like a male or female therapist. Um, and we had a really interesting conversation around whether I should have a female therapist because it was someone, because I feel more comfortable chatting to women. But you have these sorts of conversations initially and then they pay up with someone. The thing that I found really useful, I think with it, and it gave me the space, even if it wasn't necessarily talking about specific occasions or specific points or acts or things so both the both times i went to the the first 12 sessions it was one therapist and she um she left survivors at the end of the 12 sessions um but we were we were going really well so they they offer a certain number and then they can be extended if needed she said um we had a discussion and she said she uh, thought it would have been beneficial for me to continue so they would either give me a new therapist or I could continue with her because she was also private um, I thought we'd made really great progress in the first half session so I agreed to go um, private with her um, which obviously meant a significant change in cost because it um, we'll hear from, from Darren at Mind Out Chorley but um, Many charities use a sliding scale depending on what your income is, depends how much you pay for therapy. Um, whereas private is usually a set cost and, and that's the, the price. So I thought I could I could take the hit because it was necessary. Um but the combination of the significant increased cost plus the location change completely threw me out of it and I almost felt like the walls that I'd spent twelve weeks breaking apart like shoot back up again. I used to go every Tuesday at 4 p.m. and I would cycle from the office and I'd arrive. It would be the same room. We'd work through the issues, where have conversations. Whether I felt it was a productive session or not, it didn't matter because I'd leave. I would then cycle to yoga immediately after. And then from there, I would walk or cycle home. And that in itself like that entire three or four hours for me became counseling became therapy in itself whereas when i went private it was an 8 30 a.m session 45 minute train ride away on like a different day and it was just a very very different setup mm-hmm. um it was in her private office and i did it for a few times and i just felt because everything shifted so dramatically, it just didn't, it really didn't work for me anymore. So I wasn't getting anything out of it. I was actually losing stuff from it. Mm. So I felt at that point we had to close where we were up to, put it to bed for a bit. It was around then 10, 12 months later that I'd sat with it for long enough. <laughs> um, and it had raised a different set of issues for me that I didn't feel like I was prepared to or or able to tackle alone. And with survivors, like again, like many other charities, you are able to um 
go back to them for a second time. So I got back in touch. Um, it wasn't too long this time between heading back to them once I'd been in touch. So I had another um, chat with them. We kind of went through a consultation and I was um, appointed with a new therapist. Um, and it was a it was a very, very different it was a very different 12 sessions and in one way it was because I kind of felt like not because I knew what was happening because as I said before you do need to go in with an open mind and the conversations we were having almost got further away again further away from the main the main reason that I was sent initially which on reflection again I think signifies development because there's tools in place for me to be able to tackle all those other things. And I learned so many ways, not even practical. It wasn't that I learned practical things in there because you, there wasn't that sort of a session. We would just sit and talk, but by her just asking me a single question, it would like create a domino effect in my mind, which would open up a million other avenues, which I could then apply to completely separate conversations and topics mm -hmm. which i i could never have imagined that being the case it's just that's like not even a thought i would have imagined to be possible which i'm incredibly grateful for i think i'm just yeah incredibly grateful for survivors uk especially and that i was able to have these sessions with them um that gave me the ability to navigate not only the issue that i was initially sent for and was so ashamed by not only did they help me with that but it also opened up so many other things that i'm just forever grateful for <laughs> i still i'll be honest i do still feel a bit like a like a scam artist. What do you mean a scam artist? Like there are times sometimes when I still feel like I wasn't like worthy of their services or mm. I wasn't like in a place I wasn't bad enough yeah. for their I didn't need their help enough. And I think there's so many people that feel like that just for lots of for all of these topics that we're discussing. Mm -hmm. I think we just that's just something that needs to change because there's not like a a baseline that you need to hit. No. Like, you know, are you like damaged enough? Do you know what I mean? To access yeah. this, it's not, it's not like that. Now to give us a bit more insight into how the charity sector works, we're going to chat to Darren um, from MindOut. So I'm Darren. I use he, she, and they pronouns. And I run the low cost LGBTQ counseling service at MindOut, which is based in Brighton. So we've got about 20 volunteer counsellors. They're working with maybe 50 or more clients every week. So that's my kind of uh, through the week day job. But I also have my own background in activism and community development. I've been working in LGBTQ mental health for many years now. And I have my own private practice. So I work with trans and non-binary clients in particular, and also with neurodiversity autism. So 
All our services at MindOut are by and for LGBTQ people. So that cue might be for questioning, it might be for queer. And we work with adults, so age 18 and over. People could be from any background. So we have a really diverse team of counsellors and they could be different gender identities, trans histories, different races, different ages. And our clients are the same. It could be really anyone who's LGBTQ+. All our counsellors are volunteers and some of them are in training. And that means that we can't always work with complex cases involving maybe PTSD, personality disorders or similar conditions, diagnoses and things. We'll always try to work with the person to find a suitable alternative for them. Um, the people don't have to be coming with a specific problem or issue that's connected to their sexuality or their gender identity. It can be anything. It can be anxiety, depression, work, stress, bereavement. Um, so you don't have to be coming for a specific issue, but if what you're holding is really complex, it's sometimes just not appropriate for our service. Um, we can't, we either can't hold it or we can't do good work in, in 12 weeks. Some things really do need longer. Um, do you mind explaining a little bit around what that looks like for when someone reaches out? People can come to our website, that's mindout.org.uk, and they download the application form from there. And most people will email that back to us, but they can also post it to us. They can give us a ring on, on our telephone number and ask for a postal form being mailed to them if that's you know if that's what they need to to use to access it so we're really flexible about how people can get in touch with us we also have an answer phone where they can leave a voice message if they've got any questions you know if people aren't very tech savvy as well um so we try to keep it open like that but essentially you fill in an application form it's a few pages questions about yourself your background what's bringing you to counseling um and from that we'll we'll move it forward We've got the assessment which we arrange really soon afterwards. Usually it's within the next week or, or so of getting that application in. And it could last up to an hour. It'll be held by myself or a colleague. And at the moment we're doing those mostly over Zoom or it could be over the phone. Um, we'll go through another form and ask some more questions. And we'll talk a bit about people's mental health background there. Um, maybe any suicidal uh, distress that they've had now or in the past, maybe any previous experience of counselling they've had, just to get a rounded picture of them and what they're coming with, you know. And from that, really, we'll go away and we'll move it to the next step after that, which is matching. So in terms of matching, how are you, as a, as a service user, how are you paired with the right therapist or counsellor? And that maybe includes like the person's availability that's applying for counselling and what counsellors we have available at the times that the, that the client's available. And we'll take into account other things like the counsellor's level of experience, any requests that the client has around uh, gender or race or cultural background or anything like that that might be important for the person they're going to be matched with. Um, and also whether sessions are face-to-face -face or online, all of that, because we're moving forward now back into offering face-to-face -face sessions again. So it's all that. It's almost like a, a complex game of Tetris that I play with a, with a big spreadsheet and my own knowledge of my team and the person, the person that we've assessed. It's really, really important, the relationship between the person and the counsellor. You know, that's what counselling is based in. And it usually does work out well. 
but sometimes you just don't click with somebody. It's like any stranger that you've never met, you know? And so what we're wanting to do is by matching sensitively, training our team, making sure our colleagues have the right kind of background and experience, we can avoid all that kind of difficulty. That's one of the main um, attractions of coming to a specifically an LGBTQ counselling service for our clients. Mm -hmm. So how many sessions are you usually given with MindOut or is it a case by case basis? So it's a 12 session model. Um, and that's considered short-term therapy. Um, and you can do a lot of really good work in three months. And of course, clients can finish earlier if they want to. Uh, so we invite a kind of review session around midway, roughly. So some people might finish at that six-week marker. And also, if something comes up during the counselling, something changes, something really significant um, stands out to us, we can consider extending up to 18 weeks. It's really important to us that we're offering a low-cost, affordable service. And what's low-cost and affordable for one person is very different for another. So we run a scale from £5 to £50 per session. And we have people paying at both ends and in the middle of that scale. So uh, the service for those paying low-cost is subsidised by those paying high-cost. And we also have um, third-sector charitable donations and... Um, and also funding, kind of regular funding. What are waiting times like in the charity sector that you know of? I know obviously you can't mm. speak on behalf of the entire charity sector, but from your experience. Mm. Well, I would say it can vary a lot. And we'll sometimes refer people onwards for further counselling or specialist counselling to other services, and they might have to wait a year or more. At Mind Out, we don't run a waiting list as such. We're really lucky to be of the right kind of size of service to be able to offer sessions more or less straight away within within a few weeks of clients applying to us. Mm. Most clients, I think, uh, roughly forty working days, I think, is our average from first from first application. So it's about six weeks, kind of thing. We don't we don't have months, months, months of of waiting. Yeah, that That's is really, really good to hear. Promising, yeah. Mm. Um, and I think that would ease a lot of people who who are mm. listening who are who are interested. Um, yeah. So if someone is listening now and they think that they want to get help, what would be the first step from here? Well, if you're in our area, so like Brighton, South East, then you can reach out directly to us at mindout.org.uk. If you're elsewhere, you can ask an organisation like Switchboard or National Mind, the charity Mind for Mental Health. You can ask someone like that for advice on counselling services in your area. You can ask for LGBTQ specific services in your area um, and feel free to ask around and, and to shop around even. I think that's really important to say about counselling. It's absolutely okay to talk to people before you decide who you might work with. It's a big personal commitment to make, mm -hmm. you know. So don't let that stop you though. Feel free to shop around, but don't let that stop you. Just get the ball rolling somehow and people will do their best to help you. Thinking about when you had private sessions, Matthew, do you think, um, I know you, you spoke about the structure of and almost the ritual of going to therapy and then leaving therapy, going to yoga. Do you think if your therapist was based near to you, you would have been able to have similar experience and retained that ritual? Yeah, I think so. But it was definitely the, it was a significant jumping cost. Mm. 
as well. And I think that's the cost especially is, is, is one of the main reasons people don't reach out to a private therapist. Mm-hmm. For me, it was also the addition of having to find that person, mm-hmm. which just completely overwhelmed me. And so I just wanted to be literally put in a room with someone mm. and just have to deal with it. Um, but it isn't like that for a lot of people. And for no. also a lot of LGBT people, um, they are worried that the NHS might not understand the specific nature of their sexuality in relation or their gender identity in relation to their mental health mm-hmm. and so the the preference to go to private is greater really because mm-hmm. you want to choose the person you're going to yeah. be in a room with for however long if it's not like a, a crisis mm. immediate crisis situation then yeah and obviously you've got the the option to self-fund something privately then it's obviously a there's a wealth of options out there and we spoke to one of those options jen tompkinson who's a private uh counselor here's jen i'm jen tompkinson i'm a therapist in private practice um and i'm based in east london so i work with um mostly queer clients so i mean open to anyone i'd say most of the time i have about yeah sort of 75 to 80 percent of my clients are queer um so yeah, I find a lot of the queer clients, um, it's just sort of people might come reach out to me wanting a therapist who's queer and who sort of gets it. Um, so not everyone is kind of coming into therapy because they're LGBTQ and that's something that they want to talk about. For some people, it's just sort of, yeah, knowing that that's maybe something that I understand and have experience of working with. Um, and then they're here to talk about something totally different. So I... Um, yeah, so I do an assessment where I'll be making notes in in that session. Um, so I tend to ask certain questions to kind of get a sense of, of people's background and the sort of context that they're coming from. Um, so I'll like always cover um, people's like family. So who's their immediate family and what are those relationships like? Um, which for some people is you know quite a difficult place to start really. And um, you know we don't have to go into a lot of detail, but it's just for me to get a sense of whether yeah people have a supportive family um or actually if that's yeah not the case and then obviously that's just important to know about um and then we'll kind of talk about uh people's um experience of school because i think that's school's such a formative time um you know lots of us especially as queer people we've not had a great time at school maybe um and so yeah we'll kind of cover that a little bit and then sort of moving into what people do as a as a job just because that can tell you quite a lot about people um and then yeah well then we'll talk about sort of mental health and and well-being and kind of how how someone's managing that at the moment um so some people already sort of know what helps them um you know doing exercise or whatever might be um you know a good sort of strategy um and then if someone's had therapy before we'll at that point kind of talk about what was that experience like? The other things that we cover in that in that first session are maybe uh, someone's like relationship and dating history. Um, I think that's about it. And then oh yeah, and then we'll make sure to have a conversation about like how we how we might work together. So I'll kind of talk a bit about what my approach is like and how yeah what that might look like um, and whether that fits with what the client's saying that they're looking for. And moving forward, I know you said you've got quite an open structure when it comes to however many sessions that someone might have. 
Um, are there any kind of specific aims that you usually look for for those sessions or is it always dependent on the client themselves? Yeah, my approach is person-centred. So the what we talk about comes from the client um, and I'm there to kind of provide the structure in terms of how we explore that. Um, so I'll, I'll leave quite a lot of space for people and some people you know, really appreciate that and other people find that quite difficult at first. Um, and then I'll kind of reflect things back in a way that will hopefully help people just sort of see them differently and, and maybe just, yeah, help them to explore those things and, and kind of gain awareness um, from trying to step back and like, yeah, think about what's going on. Um, so some people come with a very specific thing like, yeah, I'm really struggling with my OCD and it's stopping me leave the house easily. Um, so like, how, how can you help with that? Uh, and I, my approach, as I said, it's person-centered, so it's quite different to like CBT or something which is very directive and it's very much about like coping strategies that can be like really useful. Um, but yeah, that's just not how I work. So it, for me, it would be much more about kind of trying to step back and explore like where those behaviors might have come from, what has contributed to, to things, you know, being like that and how we might understand that in a different way and and help someone kind of start to act differently and develop some flexibility around um, something that can be quite kind of rigid. We did run a couple of polls on Twitter um, and one of the main points that um, was highlighted was that a lot of people would like to go to private therapy if there wasn't a cost um, and that they'd get therapy on the on the NHS if there wasn't such a long waiting list. So what advice would you give to someone who needs the support but can't really wait six to eight months for NHS? but equally doesn't have the funds for private therapy? I mean, I would say that a lot of private therapists do offer some sessions that are like concession rate. So I always like have a couple of clients on the go who are paying less. Um, but even that, yeah, is too much for some people, of course. Um, I mean, there are places like there's Mind, the mental health charity, that lots of local branches of Mind have therapists and yeah, therapy services. Um, that just obviously depends on where you live. And then like... Yeah, I, I would say, like, depending on where you live, just kind of do some Googling around what charities there are, because there are some out there and you might happen to just fit in the niche of, of what they're offering. And so say someone is really interested in the type of uh, work that you're doing, how would they get in touch with you? Um, so I'd say that my website's probably the the best way. Um, so that's www.jltcounselling.co.uk. Um, I have some pages about being queer and, and looking for therapy and um, yeah, a bit about kind of mental health in general and a blog that I'm starting to develop and, and work more on. So yeah, I'd say that would be the best starting point really. So thank you for sticking with us um, during this episode. We know it's been uh one of our heavier ones especially this season um we're not usually like this <laughs> as you know we, we 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 do have a that tongue-in-cheek approach to uh to our mental health but we do also appreciate that um with these specific topics we do need to allow room for um the truth to be told i guess mm-hmm. um and as authentically as possible it's not all shiny happy smiley not always. We'd be liars if we did that. 
filthy liars. We're not filthy liars. <laughs> You're a liar and a cheat. <laughs> <laughs> Adulterer. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, thank you for sticking with us. Yeah. <laughs> Just to summarise briefly. Um just to yeah decompress everything that we've that we've learned which we've had some fantastic conversations even for to be selfish for for me and Matthew this is amazing to be able to sit down with um each of these people that we've spoken with this week um it's been a full on week but it's been very mm-hmm. um thought provoking so from Will at the NHS um specifically we'll learn that you don't have to go through your GP uh to get therapy you can self refer to uh, your local mental health service. Um, there is no current mandatory LGBT training within the NHS, so do bear that in mind if you are in that group and are approaching an, at the NHS. But it also doesn't mean that they aren't capable if you do have a need just that are unrelated to your sexuality or gender identity. And he rightly acknowledged uh, the poor waiting times within the NHS, which we can thank our government for the funding of that. Yeah, I think it's it's very important to say that that is a reflection on the government mm-hmm. and not the many, many, many incredible people that are doing their best mm. in the NHS to make these things work. Um, can't do a job with no funding, with no money <laughs> no. <laughs> and no resources. So, um, Darren at Mind Out, um, just to summarise, um, Mind Out specifically have incredibly short wait times um, but in order to access their services, you do have to be within there. Um, but wait times can vary across the sector. So I did mention that my wait times were a little bit longer at Survivors UK. But again, it may vary depending on the type of service you're trying to access um, and how specialist that can be. There is a sliding scale usually in the sector, in the charity sector. So I saw a sheet that was given to me. It asked how much I earned and then it had a... Um, a price next to it for what my session would be. There are specialist service, services available in the sector. So you've got Mind Out, which is specifically LGBT mental health. You've got Survivors UK and plenty, plenty of others as well. Um, many of which we've got on our website, bottomingpodcast.com. And one of the things to note is that um, due to lack of funding, unfortunately, um, many charity services are not able to offer open-ended um, counselling sessions. So these usually are offered in blocks. Um, which will vary depending on the service. And from speaking to Jen, um, one of the, the points we learned is one of the things that can put many people off is is the cost. That can be quite a big barrier. Um, but don't let that put you off having the initial conversation because many therapists do offer concession um, pricing um, and, are, and are definitely open to having that conversation as well. So definitely have a have a look around and have that chat. And a plus with that is that you do get to choose your counsellor. So if you are in a in a place where you aren't in crisis and you do have time to shop around, um, yeah, that is more of a luxury. Um, and also that they can be open-ended so that you aren't limited to a certain block of sessions where you kind of feel the pressure to get everything out within that time period. I think we're done on the serious, serious business business for a while. Yeah, shake it off. Let's get it out. <clears throat> In the wise words of <clears throat> Tace, if at first you don't succeed, dust yourself off, flick that weave. 
<laughs> so our next episode in two weeks time uh we're gonna have a very special guest yeah but the topic of that episode is gonna be all about coming out and that gorgeous experience we all have to do still <laughs> <laughs> so if you have any coming out stories and you're lgbtq plus um we want to hear a, a diverse range of experiences good the bad the ugly the hilarious the joyous the upsetting um send them across send us a dm on twitter or mm-hmm. instagram yeah we'll um we'll send you a few more details if you drop us a little note to say that you're interested but yeah we'd love to hear from um as many as many people as possible so we can get yeah a diverse diverse range mm-hmm. um of people involved in this so definitely yeah, we'd love to hear from you and then we will um yeah hopefully include as many as we can in next episode fingers crossed and as usual please don't rate, subscribe. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I'm on my knees here, people. Please rate, subscribe. Um, it, it really does help. Um, all jokes aside. Yeah, it gets us in the charts and it means that we'll be able to produce more stuff like like we are doing currently. But honestly, you are doing so amazing, sweetie. Thank you for joining us. You're doing amazing, sweetie. See you next time. Bye. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.